Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni. John, the Ninth Circuit had a good ruling this week. I think folks should mark their calendars. This doesn't happen very often. Uh, but but uh, in all seriousness, I think there's an important development for administrative law that came out of the Ninth Circuit uh, this week. And not only is it a positive development from the Ninth Circuit, it's a positive development from a three-judge panel that included two Clinton appointees and one Obama appointee. So this is not the the newfangled Ninth Circuit with uh, with a with a, uh, a a panel that happened to have drawn a couple of Trump appointees or something. This is this is sort of old fashioned Ninth Circuit judges doing something that I think is is right. And if I were to just tell you uh, what the headline is for this article, uh, and I'm relying on an article from Law 360 here, the headline is Ninth Circuit reinstates Trump era Clean Water Act rule. But that that really isn't what this is about, John. It, you can just forget about the Clean Water Act for a minute. Forget about the rule. That doesn't really matter. What matters is what the Ninth Circuit said about how you have to change rules in the administrative state. Because what had happened here is that the, the, the Trump administration had put out a, a rule under the Clean Water Act. And when the Biden administration came in, they didn't like that rule and they didn't want to enforce that rule. Well, under the Administrative Procedure Act, what an agency is supposed to do if it wants to change a rule is it is supposed to go through the notice and comment rulemaking process and withdraw the old rule and replace it with a new rule. Well, that's a very cumbersome process. It takes a long time. And the Biden administration didn't want to have to go through all of those lengthy steps in order to take down the Trump era rule that it disliked. So instead, it went to a district court in a favored jurisdiction uh, in California, and it said, hey, you know what? Uh, We really need this rule remanded to the agency because we need to work on it a little bit more. And by the way, we don't just need the rule remanded. What we really need is for you to vacate the rule in the meantime, and then we'll and then we'll work on it some more, and and we'll put it out when it's when it's fully ready. Well, there's a couple of problems with with doing things that way, and this uh, three judge panel hit the nail on the head. And the, the opinion was written by Circuit Judge Michelle Friedland, who was an Obama appointee. The other two judges on the panel. The two Clinton appointees are Susan Graber and Richard Tallman. And what these three judges uh, said in the in the opinion is uh, it's not the job of the courts to sort of abet any kind of shortcuts that an agency wants to take uh, around the the APA. Uh, And they said that. that first of all, a district court doesn't have unlimited equitable authority, and it can't throw out executive actions 
when they're sending a rule back to an agency for more work if they haven't said that that the that the rule itself was unlawful. So in other words, the district court didn't say that there was anything wrong with the Trump rule. It hadn't it wasn't procedurally flawed under the APA. There wasn't something unlawful about the rule. And if a district court hasn't found anything unlawful about the rule, then it can't just vacate it just because the agency has asked for that. And if you were to allow courts to do that, uh, then you would really be uh, undoing the careful rules that the Congress put in place when it passed the Administrative Procedure Act. Congress wanted there to be more stability in the law. Congress said once a rule is in place, if you want to undo that rule, you have to go through this certain process. And you can't just take a shortcut by finding a favorable federal district court, getting them to vacate the rule. And then in this case, that would have put a pre-Trump rule back into place, John. So you would have had an Obama era rule uh, uh, go back into place. And, and Mark, and Mark, it also, it, it injures the whole notice and comment setup. Absolutely. So, so you're supposed to say what the rule is going to be. Everyone comments on it. You address all the comments and you issue the rule. That's what's supposed to happen so that people at least know what's coming. This va- the vacating of that rule gets rid of the, all that notice and comment with no finding by a court that anything was wrong, just at the request of the agency. And I, I had a similar case um, in the D.C. Circuit where now Justice Jackson, then District Court Jackson, was going to remand. The agency had asked for this decision on, um, on funding uh, electric cars, basically, Limnia case, uh, that, hey, look, we'll look at it, we'll look at it again, um, or just remand it to us. And she was going to retain jurisdiction, and they didn't want to retain jurisdiction. She says, I'm going to retain jurisdiction, but I'm going to remand it to you, you can look at it again. But the DC circuit said, wait a second, you don't remand back to the agency. And and unless they say they're going to, um, that, that they're going to be neutral and do something different. They can't just send it back there for the same thing. Here, it's even worse because they were going to vacate the rule, which is probably what the agency now wanted, right? The agency wanted to do that without notice and comment. And these judges, I think, really read the, the APA correctly, that that's not how administrative law is supposed to work. You just You just don't do what the agency wants when there's a change in administration. That's right. And yet that's what District Judge William Alsup uh, had done. And uh, and it was the EPA here that was asking the court to to remand the rule and give it a chance uh, to revise the regulations. And there were a number of uh, Republican-led states that had joined the case to defend the rule along with uh, the, um, the American Petroleum Institute and uh, the... Um, State Natural Gas Association of America, INGA, is that uh, acronym. Uh, the uh, What the court said was, because we are unaware, this is a quote, because we are unaware of any precedent or historical examples supporting the power of the courts to vacate executive action not first held unlawful, unquote, that the district court couldn't do uh, what it did. So, uh, so now, could could the district court find the the Trump rule unlawful in some way? Well, if it if it found that, then you'd have a different situation, uh, and then maybe on appeal you would be debating whether or not what the district court found to be the illegality of the rule was accurate or not. Uh, but what you can't do is just use the power of the court to set the rule aside when you have not found 
uh, that it's unlawful. So the reason why this matters so much, John, maybe people uh, don't under you know don't understand uh, who don't follow administrative law carefully. Uh, but this this really ensures that the decision making about whether or not rules are going to stay in place uh, it follows the process that Congress intended, follows that Administrative Procedure Act process. It will slow down the ability of, of rules to change. And that is very important for industries of all kinds, not just the ones challenging this rule. Presumably, this rule about how the APA works doesn't just apply in the EPA context. This should be, at least in the Ninth Circuit, this should be for every rule out there. Uh, I don't know why it wouldn't be. Uh, and if if that's going to be the case, then companies can really rely on more stability in the law. They, they're not going to have to, uh, you know, obviously, if there's a notice of proposed rulemaking for the withdrawal of the rule, you might say, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to start thinking about what the rule, how the rule might change or how it might be different in the future. But you don't have this instantaneous setting aside of the rule by a district court in a way that's very disruptive to how an enterprise is trying to to manage its uh, its operations. So I think that this is a an, a, a proper interpretation of the APA. And, and John, I actually think it's very helpful that this came. Uh, I don't know what, what you think, but I think it's helpful that this came from two Clinton judges and an Obama judge, because it shows that the rule of law matters. Even in the Ninth Circuit, uh, they're going to follow the law. This, this was not an outcome determinative. So the, the whole issue was whether pipelines uh, could be could be interrupted, like the approval of pipelines could be interrupted for, for oil, gas and slurry and that stuff by Indian tribes and environmental groups, which obviously we would think ideologically that those judges would want that outcome. But they weren't going to allow it with a violation of the APA and an upending of how administrative law is supposed to go. I, I agree with you. I think it's very heartening because we hear all the time that these judges will do this and those judges will do that. And this was a straight rule of law ruling on something that, you know, if they were just uh, Solons deciding how the world should be, they probably wouldn't have decided. it. Yeah, no, I, I don't think this rule that the outcome in this particular case uh, reflects the druthers of the judges. But I think right. that they that they are uh, cognizant of the effect that allowing district court judges to have this kind of power uh, w- would have uh, across the federal government and across federal regulatory practice. And, and in fact, what the court said is that it, endorsing what the district court did here, quote, would essentially turn courts into the accomplices of agencies seeking to avoid this statutory requirement, unquote. The statutory requirement be, being the, the APA's process of, of creating, changing, and repealing, uh, repe- appealing, repealing, excuse me, rules. Uh, and I, I think that the Judge Friedland is exactly right about that. And I think that the fact that, uh, that you have a, a three-judge panel here saying this in the Ninth Circuit means that, uh, that this sets a precedent Obviously, it's only binding in the Ninth Circuit, but I think this is very helpful nationally uh, as well. And you may see other other courts uh, do something similar. And frankly, John, if if another court doesn't do something similar and it sets up, suppose the D.C. Circuit came out the other way on this issue. And I haven't looked into whether they've ever ruled on this before, but suppose that they come out the other way. Well, then you'd have a circuit split set up for the Supreme Court. And I think it's safe to say that the Supreme Court, maybe even in a unanimous decision, would agree with what the Ninth Circuit did here. And that would be very valuable. That's all correct. And I actually, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I'd be very surprised if this creates a circuit split ever. 
Yeah. Well, I hope you're right. I think it's great to see and and uh, uh, victory for the rule of law. Happy to bring the report to you. Stay tuned for more on Administrative Static. government's brief in the Loper Bright versus uh, Gina Raimondo case. And I'll just remind our listeners, this is the case where we put in an amicus brief uh, because we have clients in in the same position. In the same boat, you might say. In the same boat, I might say. Uh, And certainly the district court judges who who reviewed this would say this, because as we pointed out before, there's like a a million puns in our uh, our (laughs) relentless case. But in any event, so, um, so, so, uh, our, our friends over at Cause of Action have filed a petition for cert uh, to the Supreme Court because the D.C. Circuit, relying on Chevron, it, and this is important because this government brief I'm about to discuss relies on our case, our relentless case, for their position that the district court ruled uh, for, uh, for the government in that case. But the district court in our case ru- relied on Chevron, too. And the government's position in this whole Loper Bright thing is that the law is clear that they get to force regulated companies into a contract with an outside third party to come on their boat and inspect biology and collect biology information and see that they're doing things properly on the boat. Um, and so the government's position always and everywhere has been, oh, it's clear, it's clear the statute says this. And so the Loper Bright uh, petitioners have said two things. They said, no, the law doesn't let them do this. Be- and for large, for, for, for um, the main reason is, is that there's lots of statutes so that Congress can control an agency. It has to control its funding. And in fact, we I think we've mentioned on this, the Fifth Circuit just struck down the consumer product, uh, excuse me, the consumer finance um, board because it wasn't funded properly. So this is always an issue of, of whether or not Congress can control the agency by threatening to cut off funds. And so agencies don't like this and they try to get around it. And then Congress passes all these laws that for instance, uh, all, all the fees you charge, except with our exceptions we've put in, they've got to go back to treasury. When you settle a case, it has to go back to treasury. There's all kinds of rules like this so that the uh, agencies can't uh, get, go out of their lane and start uh, independently funding their operations by the people they regulate. So, uh, so the government has responded because not only did uh, Loper Bright petition, but there was like fourteen or fifteen uh, amicus briefs saying how terrible this was. Ours among them, and uh, the government came back, and it's pretty, it's pretty funny, Mark, because uh, they say two things that I that I want to highlight here. First, they say, oh, well, Chevron shouldn't be looked at because this petition does ask for uh, Chevron to be overturned. It says, wait a second. So they say Chevron wasn't necessary to this ruling uh, because the statute's so clear, which has been there. But the D.C. Circuit said otherwise. It's part of what I think 
I think I've said before, I think Judge Srinivasan is just poking the the uh, Supreme Court as much as he can, relying on Chevron as much as he can, pushing through Chevron cases as much as he can so that they either have to affirm it so he can keep using it or overturn it and cause a ruckus. I mean, I, I don't, he really seems to be doing this quite a bit. And the Loper Bright case had a, a stinging dissent uh, about that, that Chevron doesn't allow this. Um, so the issue is really, really teed up in this case. And, in, and, and so the government, I thought it was very amusing, Mark, the government came in and said, ah, you know, first of all, Chevron is very well grounded, very well grounded. It's long, it's, it's, it's part of a long history of cases. And, and even without Chevron, this principle would always be there that you have to defer to a, a, us, we, the agency in how we, uh, what our regulations do and don't do. And, uh, and so they go that, and then they cite that why they should win our relentless district court case, which they admit is up on appeal, and this other case, Gaithel, that I was involved in, a cause of action was involved in many years ago um, in a different fishery, the macro fishery, but, but they had these monitoring programs. And all those cases were decided on Chevron. So they say on the one hand, oh, it's clear it doesn't matter. But all the cases they cite relied on Chevron to come to this outcome that they get to do this. Meaning Sounds like it's turtles all the way down. Oh, it's turtles all the way down because no, except for the district court in D.C., which the D.C. Circuit did not agree with, no court has looked at this, this uh, scheme and said, oh, yeah, the statute allows it. What they've all said, except for this district court that Srinivasan and the majority in Loper Bright uh, disagreed with and overruled on that point, they said that it's only, only can you uphold this under Chevron deference to what the agency thinks, because Lord knows we don't think the statute's clear. Um, and when the statute's not clear, agency wins is basically how these cases are coming out. But what the government has said, oh, Chevron, you don't have to look at Chevron. Chevron's not required for this. This is a bad case to take for Chevron. And oh, yeah, we always win on these cases under Chevron. Um, so it is, uh, I, I think it's it's teed up. The I, I don't want to go too much in because I've talked about it before uh, that just to remind everybody, the statute allows for onboard monitors. That's not in dispute. Um, and then it allows in certain cases for NOAA and Commerce and everyone to charge for those onboard monitors. But Congress has set up how it's done. And in this case, it, it doesn't they just don't have an open ended ability to do it any way they want. And they go they say that these onboard monitors are not government functionaries because they can't enforce the law, which is crazy. There's it within within um, the government. There are people who can enforce the law. I think that there's a I think they're H-113s, Mark. I, I've forgotten what the designation are, but they're badge and gun people. Right. And the badge and gun people are all over the government and they can enforce the law. But there are other government employees who can't enforce the law. Uh, but that's the distinction they make. They say, oh, well, they can't enforce the law. They could just report to us and get the get the. Uh, the permits pulled for all the fishermen and all the rest of it, which is well, yeah. The, the eighty-seven thousand new IRS agents—they're not—they're not all going to carry guns and badges, but they're going to be out there doing audits and reporting right. to the gun and badge people, the folks who have supposedly not paid their taxes. So whether whether you have a gun and a badge or whether you're 
finding out information and then telling the gun and badge people about it, that seems like an immaterial difference to me. You're still enforcing the law. And I, as I, as we pointed out in our brief, and I think it's been pretty well pointed out, uh, the, the criminal statutes call them federal agents. And if you, if you go, if you interfere with these monitors duties, it's a federal offense because they're deemed to be federal officers for that purpose, which strike, that's a bad fact for them. And I didn't see in my review, any, uh, pushback on that fact. Um, but I really think that they, the government has devoted a tremendous amount of its brief to Chevron, saying there's nothing to see here. And it's two points. First, Chevron's great. Everyone knows it's great. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's really, really, really well grounded in our history and, our, and all the precedent. And there's no problems with Chevron. And then, and you don't need Chevron. <laughs> So almost sounds like pay no attention to the Chevron behind the curtain. That's true. And then they point out something that's true. It, they did say something that was painfully true, Mark, and I and I couldn't get around it. And, and it is in the government's favor. They said that this court has rejected every attempt to to readdress Chevron. And they and they point out all the cases we pointed out here where. Wait, wait a yeah. minute. Why didn't they mention Chevron in that case? What, what happened to Chevron? Wasn't didn't they case take this case for Chevron? And it says uh, uh, so. Uh, so I'm, I'm I. I think that that I have to agree with the government that that over the last seven terms they have taken cases that we thought would be uh, Chevron and then and then they didn't do it. Um, and and. And, and they're very gleeful about this, as as gleeful as a as a government brief gets, anyway. Um, <laughs> well, that's very closely on to the length of time that NCLA has been filing amicus briefs trying to get the Supreme Court interested in Chevron. So I don't know. That might just be a coincidence. Um, exactly. And they, they do really do a full court press on how, how Chevron is baked into the law. And you can't ever touch Chevron because the, the, the world would fall. Um, they, they say that uh, <clears throat> that petitioners bear an especially heavy burden in asking this court to overrule Chevron, which stands at the head of, quote, a long line of precedents reaching back decades, Bay Mills. Uh, the court in Chevron described its approach not as an innovation, but as the application of well-settled principles concerning the respective roles of agencies and courts in resolving statutory ambiguities. And then this is... Federal courts have invoked Chevron in thousands of reported decisions. Congress has repeatedly legislated against its backdrop. Well, what choice does Congress have? <laughs> I mean, Congress wasn't given a choice. The APA, I think, on its terms, says no Chevron deference. I mean, I think the literal words of it are, you know, courts will decide the law without reference to the agencies. I mean, it's almost as clear as that. And so Congress has tried not to legislate against the backdrop of Chevron, but the court hasn't given them a, ca uh, a chance. So, um, no, you're absolutely right. Regulated entities and others routinely rely on agency interpretations that courts have upheld. Yeah, yeah, they have. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. That's a problem. That's a bug, not a feature. Um, and so, uh, by centralizing, well, well, I hope that bug meets the Supreme Court's windshield someday soon here. Yes. And by centralizing interpretive decisions and agencies supervised by the president. Oh, supervised by the president. Isn't that interesting? 
Chevron also promotes political accountability, national uniformity, and predictability, and respects the expertise agencies can bring to bear in administering complex statutory schemes. So um, they they go they go whole hog, right? That's what we hear all the time. And one of the problems with the Supreme Court, Mark, is who appoints all these these Supreme Court justices? The president does, and how many of them come right out of the White House and are big advocates of presidential power? Um, that helps when we want the agencies to be controlled by the president, right? Like the Constitution says. But I think I think even Scalia was uh, roped into this. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I hope the court takes it. And obviously, we hope that it's first Chevron. It's never too late to undo Chevron.